Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. That, that is the best rendition of that song I've ever heard. Seriously, I heard that. That song is a famous, Be Still My Soul is a famous song. I've heard it a lot of times. That is lovely. And made by local musicians. Super fun. So my family's in the back. They're all waving to me. All the offspring are here. My lovely wife as well. That's Jessica. The oldest is Owen. The middle one is Jackson. And the youngest one is, wait, what's your name? Maya. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> all right. Well, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into our time in the Word. Does that sound good? I'm going to pray whether you like it or not, so we're praying. <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Uh, that is not pretend, the fact that you are here, and I'm so glad. Um, Jesus, thank you so much for your Word, which gives shape to our lives, and is kind of the anchor when everything else is swirling around us. Your Word is an anchor that says, okay, this is still true. This always will be true. This is what the character of God is like. And therefore, it's reliable. God, I pray as we wrap up our series on what it means to live as sacrifices to you, that you would be glorified by that, the way this works itself out in our community. Um, and so we thank you so much, Jesus, for, for the, the, the teaching you have for us tonight. And we love you so much. Amen. All right. Um, I'm Jeff. Also, by the way, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet. And uh, if you're new with us, if this is your first night with us, you are catching us on the last week of what I think has been a really important series on how to follow Jesus. Kind of a big deal, yeah? Um, We've taken our cues from two little verses in a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to new Christians in Rome. But these two little verses have packed a punch. Yes? Yeah, for me too, actually. Um, So... Since this is our last week in these verses, I would really like us all to read it together. So, as as is an ancient tradition of the church, uh, the church, the people of God will stand and we'll all read the text out loud together. So, go ahead and stand and read out loud with me from Romans 12, 1 through 2. Okay? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen. I really, I really appreciated that song that Michelle taught us. Some of you had already heard it, but in view of God's mercy, in view of what He has done for us that we didn't deserve, our true and proper response is to say, I'm yours. I belong to you. This life is not mine anymore. You, Lord, can have it. You have cleaned me up, and you can now be in charge. In another way of putting it, you could say, Lord, I'm as good as dead to what I want this life to be about. And I'm completely alive as yours. Do with me as you please. And when we do that, we find ourselves smack in the middle of the goodness of God. His good, perfect, and pleasing version of what life is all about. Jesus calls this the abundant life. St. Paul calls it elsewhere, the life that is really life. And tonight, we're going to talk about the implications of these two verses 
on our wallets, on our credit cards, on your plastic, on our loose change, but that doesn't exist anymore. Who actually has change in your pockets right now? Raise your hand. Wow, okay, some people. All right, good luck, good work. On our spending power, we tonight are going to talk about money. Now, a lot of people think that money is too personal to bring up in church or too awkward to talk about publicly. Or other people think that money is the only thing the church cares about. They just want it. So people in church overcompensate sometimes by never talking about it. And that's dumb. Because money... (laughs) I will. (laughs) Money is way too important to ignore. Way too potent to treat as neutral. Jesus talked a ton about money. Look at this. I made, made a list. Blam! That's just... The Gospels. And that's just what Jesus says in those first four books. It doesn't even, there is an Acts one down at the bottom, by the way, because he's quoted by Paul later on. That doesn't even include the rest of the Old and the New Testament. So we are going to talk about money too tonight because there's good reasons Jesus talked about it so much. Here's one. Here's a really important reason to talk about money. We have to talk about money because money pressures our morality. Wealth has a huge influence on how we choose to act, doesn't it? Financial stability, having enough in the bank, being able to live a comfortable enough life has a huge sway on our choices. This is personal for me. Um, It's probably personal for all of you, but I'll tell you why it's personal for me. But um, I'm a missionary, so I get to do this job with you and feed my family, and they eat fine, as you can see. Um... And have a house and send them to school, all that kind of thing. I get to do that because people invest in this mission. I get a paycheck because people send in money every month. But what if Jesus tells me to rebuke a major donor? If this person drops, that's 150 bucks a month I have to go raise somewhere else. And maybe you think I'm kidding, but this happened a year ago. It's okay, you can laugh, we're fine. (laughs) Maybe it's not that funny to you guys. It was really scary at the time. Financial stability actually pressured my morality. Financial security sought to soften my convictions of what I knew Jesus wanted me to do. And I'm sure it's not just my problem. Um, How many of you have hesitated to tell your mom and dad that you might want to lead a core next year because you're worried they'll turn off the financial spigot paying for your school? You don't have to raise your hands. How many of you have decided against post-graduation plans that don't make a lot of money, even though maybe you know God wants you to give a year to missions and pray about a lifetime? Money shapes Morality, it influences our choices, doesn't it? And that is not just true individually. It's true nationally. Our whole country will put up with evil because it makes money. We're celebrating Black History Month in our community. 
which means we get to celebrate and acknowledge African-American contributions to our culture now and historically. But it also means that we have to stare straight in the face the jagged scar running across our nation's history that is slavery. With all its, over, with all its um, overt and subtle, but systemic outplaying today. So I, here's what I want to do. I want to invite John Scott Wrigley up to do a reading for us in honor of Black History Month. Come on up, brother. It's, uh, it's from a speech that Frederick Douglass gave. Fantastic African-American thinker about how money pressured morality in our country. Here's your microphone, my friend. Thank you. And the words will be on the screen so you can read along with it as he reads. Take it away, sir. All right. In the words of Frederick Douglass, the first and last question, and the only question which we Americans have to press, is the great American question, will it pay? If such a people as ours had heard John, the beloved disciple of the Lord, exclaiming in the book of Revelation, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. What if they, instead of answering, Amen, glory to God in the highest, would have responded, But Brother John, will it pay? Can money be made out of it? Will it make the rich richer and the strong stronger? How will it affect property? In the eyes of such people, there is no God but wealth, no right and wrong but profit and loss. Our national morality and religion have reached a depth of baseness than which there is no lower deep. They both allow that if men can make money by stealing men and women and by working them up into sugar, rice, and tobacco, they may, they may innocently continue to practice, and that he who condemns it as an is it it is an unworthy citizen, a disturber of the church. Money is the measure of morality, and the success or failure of slavery as a money-making system determines with many whether the thing is virtuous or villainous, and whether it should be maintained or abolished. Money kept slavery kicking. You mess with slavery, you're messing with people's income. You're messing with our nation's productivity. Okay, maybe it's not good, but oh, it saves us so much money to produce with slave labor. And, lest we think we are so advanced now, we still have immoral systems in place because they make money. I wonder if any of you have done any research on the private security firms that manage many prison systems in our country. I just learned about this last year, and you'll have to research it for yourself, but I was appalled. In our country, state governments enter into legal contracts with private companies who provide food, services, and even sometimes security staff for lots of prisons. Now, initially, that sounds fine. Okay, great. Outsource the, 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 the care of the prison system to private companies. Okay. But when you look closer, what that means is, is that there's now a financial obligation that states have to make sure those prisons stay full. Otherwise, the states lose money on their contracts with these private firms. Again, you do the research for yourself, but there are actually financial incentives. There is a profit to make to making sure enough people go to jail. 
That's sketchy. And it's wrong. And it's not just the prison system. It's not just the appalling statistics of how many people of color there are in our prisons. That's wrong. There are plenty of diabolical industries in our country that are kept alive because they make so much money. I was just brainstorming myself like, okay, what are some things that come to mind about like, this is so bad, but it's so like, productive financially that, that no one's going to mess with it. Think of the pornography industry. Think of predatory lending. Yeah, these probably, people probably shouldn't sign this, but hey, they, they should know better. So I'm going to bring the money in. Weapons manufacturing, the overproduction of prescription drugs. All this stuff is totally legal. Even though everybody knows it's destroying people's lives. But it makes money. Is it any wonder that Jesus and his followers talked about how dangerous and powerful money is? Look at what St. Paul says to Timothy, that one of the guys he's discipling. In his first letter, uh, chapter 6, verse 9, he says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Notice he doesn't say just plunge themselves into ruin and destruction. Plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money pressures morality. It influences our choices. And it's as true today as it was in the days of slavery and as it was in, the, in, the, in Paul and Timothy's lifetime long before that. That's why money is so often talked about as an idol in Scripture. Because it acts just like a god. Money acts just like a god. We think, sometimes I think, that uh, idolatry is a, is a thing of the past. Yeah? uneducated, unadvanced, unenlightened people back in the day who used to worship little statues. That's so 7th century B.C. (laughs) Right? No! Idolatry is alive and well today. Idols are just false gods. They're just pump-fake gods. They make you think they're gods because they pretend to act like gods, but they're not. If you think about it, uh, think of the things that a god offers. Yeah? Yeah? God offers protection, security, hope for a good life, provision for those we care about, right? And those things are not bad in and of themselves. Money offers all those things. Lots of people your age go to college to get a good job so that they can make enough money to enjoy life. To have all those things. But money is a pump fake. How many of you play basketball? You know what I'm talking about. You get down, yeah, you get down on the low post and you jerk your body like this and the person in front of you goes, oh, gets out of the way and you score. Every single pump fake I ever did went just like that. <laughs> money is a pump fake God. Why else? Are rich people so unhappy? And why do rich people never stop trying to make more money? There's this myth out there. If I just had a little bit more, then I'd be okay. Guess what? Every single time someone gets that little bit more, they go, ooh, I see a little bit more over there. 
It's fake. It's false advertisement. And how many stories do you know, maybe people even close to you, of people hitting financial disaster that they didn't see coming, right? When that happens, it's like we actually tell money, you said you'd always be there for me, right? I've heard people say that kind of thing. But it can't be. It's not God. Money cannot deliver on the advertisement. It fakes us out. It will leave us and forsake us, whether by our own foolish decisions or random economic catastrophes we could not anticipate. It is not reliable. But it advertises that it can give us security, a good life, peace, protection, plenty of friends, just like a God does. So we build our lives around making sure that money will never leave us or forsake us. But Jesus says, actually, only I can make that promise and keep it. Later in that same passage about money to Timothy, St. Paul writes this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. It's like Paul knew the stock market already. (laughs) But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's what we want money to do. We want money to richly provide us for everything with our enjoyment. God says, will you let me do that? I would love to do that for you. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of, ah, that's our word, the life that is really life. Connected to what our relationship with money is like is the life that's really life. Money is one of the leading competitors for God in our lives because it advertises stability, but it's unreliable. And a living sacrifice says, I will build my life around what you want, Lord, and your will for me, whatever the cost, whatever you tell me to do with my money. But if you offer yourself to money, you're building your life around doing everything you can to make sure that you always have enough, whatever enough means. So, what do we do? How should we relate with money? How should we use our money power in the world? How do living sacrifices spend? And at this point, I'm very glad that Jesus talked about this so much because we can help us figure it out. The first thing I think Jesus would say to us about how we should relate as living sacrifices with money in our lives comes from the Old Testament. It's the Old Testament assumption about reality, and it's the the worldview that Jesus continued and and advertised and said, continue this worldview wherever you go and spread it around to the people you talk to me about. Talk about about me with. That was a really confusing sentence. (laughs) My bad. You know what I mean. Here's what Jesus would say. And it's radically countercultural, especially to Americans. Especially to Americans. Nah, it's probably countercultural to a lot of humanity. But it's, but it's true here too. And it comes from Psalm 24, verse 1. It says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Okay, hold on. Wait, the earth is the Lord's? That probably would have covered it. But let's be extreme. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Oh, wait, I'm not done. The world 
and all who live in it. Just in case you thought people didn't count too. This is a fairly thorough verse. The first thing that I think will deliver us from the power of money in our lives and in our society is a change of mind. I think you will do yourself a great service if you stop thinking of your money as your money. If you've decided to follow Jesus, if you have hitched your life to what Jesus is up to, then nothing of yours is yours. It's his. See, we believe that God made this whole world using all kinds of incredible scientific means and operations. So he kind of owns the copyright on existence. He made it, he thought it up, and he made us to manage it. So even the things we create are because he gave us the capacity to create it. So he holds the patents on humanity's inventions and holds us responsible for how we use them. The imagery in the Judeo-Christian origin story is that the role of human beings is to be as stewards. We are caretakers, not owners of creation. So your production power, every dollar you earn, isn't actually yours. It belongs to God. We were made to work. We were given brains and hearts and muscles and health and abilities and even life situations where we could improve ourselves and grow skills. Where do you think all that came from? Even the money your parents give you. Where do you think they got it? Somebody over here said, oh. Even our ability to earn money is a gift from God. Which means that the money you and I earn, we have to ask him how he wants us to spend it. Um, That's important to, to, to mention here. That's part of why we take an offering every week. We want to live out this reality as a community. We want to act like the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So we give a portion of our income back to him directly. In the Old Testament, and I really appreciated David's word about this being worship. This is us offering, not coming. As me and David were talking earlier, it's, it's, not, it's about not coming empty-handed to God. I'd like to give you something for all that you've given me. In the Old Testament, this, uh, this giving, uh, this idea of offering was actually part of God's law. Every Israelite was commanded to give 10% of all their income to God. Directly to God. That was called tithing. A tenth of everything they earned was to go directly back to God as a demonstration that any earning was only possible by God's provision. It was a little bit more obvious then when things like the weather and climate and the richness of the soil, which are very much out of your control as a, as a you know, a... a, a 7th century B.C. farmer. And when the crop comes in, you go, whew, thank you, God. It's harder now when you get a paycheck. And it's not this really clear, obvious thing that God has allowed you and empowered you and enabled you and generously provided for you to get this money. It doesn't make it less true. It's just harder to connect the dots sometimes for us. And in the New Testament, we're actually called to continue this practice of tithing. But we see that tithing is just the minimum. There's a new standard in town when Jesus shows up, and it's called generosity. Tithing is like training wheels for generosity. You elbow into your budget, into, the, into your sort of spending power, you elbow room 10%, and say, hey, I could do this. 
And then once your 10% is being given back to God, somebody, suddenly you find yourself captured by another cause or another need of a friend. And you go, oh, I'm already giving my 10%. Jesus says, give a little more. <laughs> Be generous. If 10% is the baseline, the bottom, the minimum, what would it look like for us to live generously beyond 10%? That's one reason we take offering every week, to train ourselves to be generous for life. And again, this is not just practice for giving for real life. This is real life. This is not a drill. When we give our offering, not only is it worship, as David said, but living in community in college and making Jesus famous. You know this costs money? All this equipment up here was purchased? Yeah? I'm talking, you can hear me now because this was bought. This costs coin. (laughs) So when you give in the offering, you are actually contributing to what it costs to do CCF. You are investing in the mission of Jesus on this campus. And I want to say this too. In 2017, last calendar year, you and the students who were here before some of you met our student giving goal for 2017. Seriously, good work. We'll do, we'll do a little like family time on, on what offering is and how the budget works and what our giving goal is and all that kind of thing later in the year. But, but for now, it's enough for you to, to hear that you even surpassed it by $72. Yeah. So if you do the math, if you divide that by 12, that's like six bucks a month over every, yay, every month. That's great. So we were close, but you did it. Way to go. Way to go. Giving your money back to God pushes back on the power of money in your life and in our culture. Giving in the offering says, this wasn't mine anyway. That's how living sacrifices spend. And if you think about it, living sacrifices spend the same way living sacrifices should live. Jesus, what do you want me to do? I'll do anything you tell me to do. I don't even belong to me anymore. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to spend my money? I met a guy at my, during my sabbatical last year, a regent, who probably is probably the richest guy I've ever been in a room with, <laughs> just because he told us how much money he made. And he said, I'm so glad God made me rich. And I was like, this guy is wacko. <laughs> he said, because I hate money, and I love giving it away. I live off of 6% of my income. Do you know how many missionaries I get to support? Do you know how many causes I get to fund? Do you know how many pastors I've put through seminary so they can go change the world in the third world planting churches? I'm so glad God made me rich. I was like, me too. (laughs) Let me send you a support letter. (laughs) But wouldn't that be radical if you said, God, would you give me more money so I can give more away? Lord, when I leave college, would you make me rich, rich, rich so that I can live sacrificially and fund all kinds of movements of your kingdom around the world? Ooh. I'll send you a support letter. <laughs> so, once we've let Jesus transform and renew our minds about money, and no longer conform to the pattern that our culture presses us into, how do we not let that control 
us? How do we not let money pressure us? How do we keep from stressing out about money so much? Right? In this fight to not let money dominate us, I want to give you a weapon. I want to give you some brass knuckles to punch money in the face with. Are you ready? Here it comes. Boom! Look at that! I would like to suggest to you that this weapon, though it is not new, is one that your generation needs now more than ever. If you are going to take the power of your money seriously and spend it like a living sacrifice, you have got to know what's coming in and what's going out. Here's how you fight back. Here's your brass knuckles for how to punch money in the face. If you are feeling stressed about money, if you are succumbing to advertising pressure, I need more, I don't have enough, my iPhone's not shiny enough. Or if you're just not sure what your relationship with money is like, I don't know how much is coming in, I don't know what I spent it on. I don't know why you sound drunk when you're talking about money. (laughs) But here's the deal. Writing a budget is your road to freedom. And that is not pretend. I wonder how many of you could tell me, right now, you don't have to raise your hands or anything, I wonder how many of you could tell me how much you make every month on average. Just at a flat rate, bang, this is how much I make every month. If you don't know that, you don't know what power you have to make a difference for God's kingdom financially. Hear that. If you don't know what your income is, then you don't know your power. At the same time, I wonder how many of you could tell me how much you spend on coffee every month. Here's the thing with that. Or maybe it's not coffee. Maybe you're like, ha, Jeff, I don't even drink coffee. Okay, soda, tea, pizza, movies, whatever you spend your money on, clothing. Here's the deal. If you don't know how much you spend, then you have a power leak and you don't even know it. You are leaking power to make a difference in God's kingdom and you don't even know it. So if you don't know how much is coming in with any real clarity and you don't know how much is going out with any real consistency, then how can you possibly be in control? Who's managing who? The expenses? Oh, there's an expense right in front of me. I have to pay for it. How much do you have left? I don't know. How many times have you paid this expense? I don't know. Do you need need this expense? I'm not sure. Brass knuckles. Punch it in the face. But if you create a budget, then you will get a clear picture of what's coming in and you get to decide how the money goes out. And this budget sheet has everything you need to start doing that. I've got a a link that you can go to. This is is not the full thing. I couldn't fit the full thing on the slide, but there's a link on the next slide. CCF Ministry. Yep, there it is. If you go there, we created a really simple spreadsheet with with like all the calculations in it. Like it's got a little, the, 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 yeah, calculations in it. That's, That's plenty to say. Um, but you guys can go, go through and check it out. Now, here's the deal. It's open for all the world to see. So please copy it and make your own stuff. 
right? We don't want to see everybody's budget, like it's changing every time we look at the thing as you just sip of the original. I've never done that before. All the time. Right? So copy it and make your own budget. And I know, seriously, this is case by case. Some of you, your parents are paying for school, so how's this factor for this? Uh, all that's a great conversation to have with your Corfo or someone who you trust to help you build a budget. Because some of the Corfos are like, whoa, I'm going to talk to my peer team leader. Do it. We're ready. Your budget will be tailored to your situation, but that's the whole point. You are mastering it. You get to tell it what to do, not the other way around. A budget puts you back in control of your money instead of being controlled by your expenses. A budget allows you to tell God, see, this is what I have. What do you want me to do with it? A budget allows you to tell money, you are not my God. I don't need you. I got Jesus. Me and him will spend you however we want. And a budget allows you to let your morals, your convictions, shape your spending, not the other way around. Because that's how living sacrifices spend. God has a good and pleasing and perfect will for how he wants you to spend your money. And creating a budget is a great way to start offering our spending power as a sacrifice to God. So, as the worship team comes forward, I'd like us to pray. Lord, I thank you that you are a bigger and better God than money could ever be. I thank you that you desire to provide for us. I also thank you that our barometer for provision, when it's reworked by you, is a much better barometer of what we actually need. God, I pray that money would, would lose its hooks in our lives and that we would do the hard work of pulling those hooks out of our hearts by making a budget, doing the practical, real-world work of saying, money, you are not controlling me. God, I pray that this practice would be personal and individual. Lord, I pray also that it would become a community practice, that we as a community of CCF would be a budgeting people. We would use our power well so that we could influence a society that for too long has let money shape what we decide is right and wrong, has let money shape what we will and will not speak against and try to tear down. God, I believe that there are people in this room who can begin assaulting the forces that oppress by the way they spend their money. Lord, I pray that you guide us on how to do that. But help it get real with us first so that we can be a part of changing our community and changing our society that is so addicted to money as a God. We love you, Jesus, and we trust you with this. Thank you so much for discipling this, us, even this practically. We pray that in every way we would offer ourselves as living sacrifices to you. We love you very much.